0: Good morning church. It is a special day today. It is July 23rd. It is the 23rd birthday of my sweet mama Rose who's in town. Uh, Happy birthday mama. 67 today. Happy birthday mama. And if (laughs) if you're visiting like my mom, I want to say thank you for joining us. My name is Peter I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. Uh, We're going to carry on today in our series, The Unshakables. We're talking about how you can be shaken by all of life's troubles and yet still remain unshakable at the level of your faith. Uh, Today we're going to talk about unshakable prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to honor God's word. We're going to jump right to the gospel account of Luke uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John the Baptist also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. For now the door is shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more, the Heavenly Father, will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a special supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. And we earnestly ask you, just like your disciples asked you almost 2,000 years ago, teach us to pray. Transform us today, beyond my words or my thoughts, transform us at the level of our praying. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're tracking with us in the purple book, and I hope that you are. Uh, It's our Bible Foundations workbook that tracks with our sermon series all summer. Uh, If you're tracking with us, then you'll see that uh, due up this next week is chapter 8 on prayer and worship. Now today, I'm really only going to share a message about prayer, aside from my little three or four minute rant about worship that I'm about to give. Everyone worships. We were made by God to worship Him. And yet, because of our fallen nature and rejecting Him, not just Adam and Eve in the garden, but you and me on our cell phones and in our conversations, we've rejected Him. And so, instead of worshiping Him, we worship other things. That's essentially our problem. Things like careers, and spouses, and leisure, and sex, and personal ambition, or social media affirmation. And here's what the gospel does, though. When the gospel restores us, Jesus transforms us to return our worship to the only one who is really worthy of our trust and worship. And that is the glorious God that's revealed in this Bible. The gospel of Jesus turns us to be Christ-worshippers. Now, the worship team isn't just the people on microphones up here. The worship team is the whole congregation, those of us who've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Not just the people up front. The people up front aren't performing. They're just leading the worship team in praise and worship to God. All of us are on the worship team. Now, if you've noticed, the last few services, and especially today, I turned the speakers down just a little bit. But listen, I turned them down so that you will turn up. Here's the thing, Psalm 47 says that we are to clap our hands. It commands us, clap your hands, all ye people. And it says, shout to God joyous sounds of acclamation. It commands us to make noise. And if you grew up in certain Catholic or Baptist backgrounds like me, you get a little nervous, but it's glorious. Why do we, why do we need to make noise like that? Well, I think part of it has to do with when Jesus says, he who is forgiven much, loves much. Now that's why my worship is and should be really loud, because I've been forgiven super duper much, and it would be non-cohesive and confusing for me to not make a lot of noise, and the same for you. God forbid that we make more noise when we're watching our favorite sports team, or listening to our favorite band. Now, let me help you for a second, too. If, if, Church is a struggle for you because you're worried about people judging you, which we do in church, unfortunately. If you just are worried about how other people think you sound or look in church, let me just say something that's going to be really helpful. That other person that you might think is noticing you is too insecure about you noticing them. So all of our self-consciousness cancels each other out and we can be God-conscious, and we can make noise to the one who's worthy of it, and we can hashtag turn up, hashtag worship. That's all I have to say. Now, I want to spend most of my time talking about prayer and really teaching through the passage we've just read. The passage starts with this. Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, he finished And one of his disciples asked him, how do you pray? Teach us to pray. Something about the way Jesus prayed caused those who were around him, and by the way, some of which had extensive religious training, so it's not like they knew nothing, caused them to nonetheless scrap everything they knew about prayer and say, Jesus, teach me to pray. Have you ever been praying with someone and had that feeling like, man, there's something I'm missing that that person has? Like, thought something like, man, I, I'm missing a connection that they have with God. Well, that's what Jesus' disciples were thinking. They knew that Jesus had a mysteriously deep connection, and they wanted it. And I think, nonetheless, that they really just still sold themselves short. I think they were, when they were asking him to teach them to pray... I think they were probably just asking him to, you know, show show us a few tricks that make us better. And here's why. When they referenced John the Baptist, John the Baptist, from what we know, uh, taught perfunctory prayers, planned prayers, uh, which can be very powerful, but they were asking in the context of what they knew. And Jesus was gracious enough to give them a prayer, but he also wanted to teach them and just blow their paradigm for how to pray and what prayer is. Uh, y'all have heard that saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, but teach a man to fish and he'll be negligent in his marriage. No, uh, <laughs> just wanted to just make sure you're still with me. Teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. Well, see, here's what Jesus was doing. He was not only giving them a prayer, the best prayer, right, but he was teaching us how to pray number two and thirdly he leaves us with the secret of perfect prayer which he really refers to at the end of our passage and those three steps are how i want to organize how i teach through what we just read now verse verse two his response when they asked him to teach him how to pray he says when you pray now let's stop there for a second He's assuming we're praying. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, some of of us just aren't. And this can be super helpful if you're like me. Because prayer, if it's like a muscle, then some of us are like looking all gaunt and gross from like atrophy. Right? But here's the thing. Muscles can be strengthened. Right? So he's assuming when you pray, say this. So, we should pray. And if you pray a lot already and your muscles are looking good, well, you still need to be strong too. Now, before we get to just what Jesus taught them for a second, let me just simply say something about Luke 11 and prayer in general that I think can help to simplify our paradigm for what prayer is. Because if you're like me, we can easily complicate everything, including prayer, right? I've heard someone say before, this verbatim prayer is communication with god it's two way so you also you don't need to just talk you need to shut up and listen now i think that that was well meaning when i heard this person say that but a little bit misguided and i'll explain that i think it's good to communicate with god and i think for me communicating with god and all communication i need to shut up and listen But you don't have to change the definition of what prayer is to make your point. Here's what I mean. God communicates with us. Absolutely. But God doesn't pray to us. That's something different than prayer. God communicates to us through things like revelation, uh, illumination of scripture, and prophecy. And so it's good for us to shut up and listen. And we listen by fasting and by meditating on God's word, as opposed to meditating on nothing. Don't meditate on nothing. You meditate on God's word. That's important. Sometimes we just need to, to engage in elongated moments of remaining in his presence with silent coherence. Meditating on his word. That's good. He communicates to us. We need to shut up and listen. And we communicate back to him through things like praise, worship, acclamation, thanksgiving, and prayer. And so I think it's perfectly appropriate to say, from my understanding, that prayer is simply talking to God. Talking to God, that's what prayer is. And Jesus simplifies it even further here in Luke 11. He simplifies it to prayer is just asking God for stuff. Now, based on how he teaches us to do that and what he teaches us about prayer afterwards, it's going to help us to know how we ask God for stuff and particularly what stuff to ask for because when we do that, it's really the key to a vibrant prayer life. So here we go. When we unpack this prayer that he gives, uh, you'll notice four things that Jesus teaches us to pray for. Four things. Preeminence, provision, provision, Pardon and preservation. I, I like to uh, have consonants that uh, alliterate, I think, is the word. What is it? Okay, guys, say it right. Thank you. Four Ps. First, preeminence. He teaches us to pray. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your name. Your kingdom Come. The first thing on our prayer list should be God's preeminence over all the other things we're about to pray, right? That he is glorified over everything else. God's glory should drive and redirect our prayer continually. In fact, the more you pray into and meditate on the greatness of God, the very real, palpable greatness of God the less great and big your worries and fears will seem in contrast. And that's why it's for our own sake and for the sake of his name as well that he teaches us to first and foremost put this on our list. God, be glorified in the middle of my mess. God, in fact, deliver me from this mess, but in everything first and foremost, be glorified in it. He's teaching us To put ourselves in position to say, your kingdom come, not my kingdom. And if you'll notice, it'll redirect how you pray into that thing that you're asking for. Because you're asking for his kingdom. Number two, provision. He says, verse three, give us each day our daily bread. In other words, just tell him what you want. What you really, really want. I had to go back to the 90s for a second. Still with me? Literally, just tell him what you want. Ask for stuff. Provision. He is preeminent and glorious, so he does a good job sorting out what, you know, the difference between what we want and what truly are our daily needs, right? He doesn't actually put the burden on us necessarily to sort that out, to have the perfect prayers. Just tell him what you want, and because you're praying to a preeminent God, he provides for you something better than what you want. It's what you need, which is your greatest want. He's preeminent. And he likes to provide. He's a provider. Number three, pardon. Verse four says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Confessing our sins out loud to God and, and to others for that matter has this, powerful liberating effect. Like saying it out loud and confessing it to God, it disarms the power of the accuser who tries to weigh us down with guilt on the inside. And when we confess it out loud, it reminds us of what Jesus has done. Jesus has paid the price to be our substitute, to pay the price to pardon, to forgive our sins once and forevermore. he doesn't have to keep doing anything else. It's, it's all paid for. But we have to continuously ask Him to forgive our, our sins simply because we have to realign with ourselves all the time with what He's already paid for and to refocus and to walk in new freedom. And the other thing we need to do is the people that sin against us. Anyone got sinned against this week? Okay. Some of us and then the rest of us are kind of lying. People no. <laughs> looking peripheral, when we ask God to forgive us all the time, we're, we're reminded of the context of compared to how he forgives us, how can I hold a debt over this person in my life? It helps us. So number four, finally, preservation. Last thing he teaches us to pray is for preservation, our own preservation. He says, to, to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation if you think you can make it in your life and in your faith in Jesus all in your own strength, then let me just tell you, you're setting yourself up for an imminent fall. And I don't say that so that you can be paranoid. I don't think that we need to be paranoid about falling to temptation, but we need to have our guard up. And more importantly, we need to regularly ask God to help us with his preeminent power to preserve us over the temptations that come our way every day. The key to an unshakable life is to seek the preserving power of the unshakable God all the time. And if you don't know that you need it, you'll be reminded that you need it by life. And you'll be put in a position to say, okay, God, lead me not into temptation. Preeminence. Provision, pardon, preservation. Do you want to pray like Jesus? Talk to God. Ask Him for stuff. Ask Him for this stuff. Follow this pattern in prayer and watch how God transforms not only your prayer, but your life. Now, a little side note about Luke 11. Luke 11 you You'll notice that this prayer, when compared to Matthew 6, is similar but different, right? Anyone ever notice that? The Lord's prayer seems a little different. I've heard people say, point out discrepancies like this and say things like, see, it's different. See, the Bible contradicts itself. And I just want to, you know, slow down for a second. I have a real simple, crazy answer to this big, so called contradiction conundrum that's going to be a real simple thought. Perhaps the different gospel writers taught Jesus. saying things a little differently sometimes because Jesus said things a little differently sometimes. After three years of teaching on prayer, more than once I assume, he probably taught it in different ways with different variants, but he taught the same message. In fact, the four basic principles are in Matthew 6. And Matthew 11 appears to be, in contrast with that, just a little bit of a, a summary. But the same four principles are there. And, and you know what? The pattern of prayer and principles like this, by the way, are going to be uh, preeminent in our, are going to be evident, sorry, in our, our prayer meetings that we're going to have every month. We're going to have church-wide prayer meetings. I alluded it, to it yesterday. Next week, we'll even have a special graphic and announce it. But I'm just putting it on your radar right now that we are going to get together in congregational prayer the first Sunday night at 5 p.m., first Sunday night of every month, starting next month. That we're going to follow the same basic pattern. Now, I said that Jesus not only gives them a prayer here, but he teaches them how to pray. So before I'm done, I want to, I want to show you some of these things that he teaches. You know, the way he prayed, prayed and the prayer he gave, and, the, and what he teaches afterwards, serves to remind us that we need to pray personally, and directly, to a very personal God who loves to be connected with directly. In fact, the prayer he gives, right, the first word, what's the first word? Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, Father in heaven. He, he's teaching us to To pray to God like a father. No one in Jesus' time had the nerve to pray to the mighty God, Yahweh Elohim, as father, as Abba, as daddy. And Jesus is doing that and telling sinners like us to do that. Now, the father had a few hundred years before Jesus been metaphorically related to, like being a father, but no one was praying to him like that, like he's telling us to pray. He's personal. Then after giving this prayer, he points out these, these different examples, right? About how, like, who do you, would you go to your friend and ask for a loaf of bread like this? Or when your son asks for a fish or an egg? Uh, and by the way, parents, how cool would that be for our kids to ask for fish and eggs <laughs> instead of suckers and chocolate, right? But he, he gives these examples because he knows, Jesus knows, that you and I, are habitually prone to treating God like he's not a person, but he's a person. He's a wonderful, powerful, beautiful, transcendent, and yet intimately close person. And I think we forget that sometimes. My first time, like right after I gave my life to the Lord, I was 14 years old. I was led to Christ by a campus ministry my first time praying, particularly in an evangelical prayer setting, it was, it was kind of uncomfortable and wonderful at the same time. It was weird how these people were praying to God like he was there. You know what I'm talking about? You can feel the difference. Have you ever prayed and was, it's not quite like that? It's like they're praying to God like he's like there with us, and he was. And that was so great about it. He is. That's what we need to pray like. I think sometimes we pray so formally like, like we're trying to, you know, punch some little spiritual pin number into the ATM to garner access to our account, right? Or we pray with these big, lofty, religious, repetitious words, right? Some of y'all know what I mean. Some of y'all do it. I've prayed with all y'all. No. <laughs> now check this out. What if you went to me after service and you're like, hey, uh, uh, Peter, uh, pastor, uh, merciful friend, Peter, pa- uh, pastor, Peter, I'd stop you. I'd be like, "Hey, I love you. We're we're close. We're friends. What do you need?" Right? We can pray to God like he's a person that he is. He's he's a person. He wants us to be honest and real with him. And sometimes we forget that. I forget it all the time. And Jesus has a remedy if you're like me and you forget like the personal nature of our personal God. His his remedy is ask and seek and knock. It's things that we that we're aware of, things that we know how to do. And he's saying, "Do that in prayer." When you go and ask for stuff and you're talking to a real God who's there and he's personal, ask and seek and knock. If you ask, what do you say? Verse 10 or something, you receive. If you ask, you receive. Now, check this out. Think about it in the reverse. If you're not receiving, or receiving the, the imminent close presence of God and feeling. It could be because you're not asking and seeking and knocking. In other words, again, you're not praying. And that's why you're not feeling. And, th- and this could solve the whole mystery of like, why is my prayer life feeling dry right now? What if it's as simple as like you're just not praying and asking and seeking? Now, that little nudge of correction that I give to you or the Holy Spirit gives to you like he gave to me earlier this week, that can be incredibly uplifting in that it's super simple, right? It's not confusion. When we seek, we find. Because that's how faithful he is. That's the promise he gives and that he continues to deliver on whenever we ask. And we seek and we knock. He wants us to seek and find. Seek and find. Check this out. When I play hide-and-seek with my two-year-old daughter, I'm not trying to hide from her so that she won't find me, right? I'm trying to spur on her pursuit and maximize the joy of her finding me and hugging and squeezing and kissing her. God wants you to seek Him. He's a perfect Father. He wants you to seek Him, and He wants you to have the joy of finding Him regularly. That's the glory of faith, He wants you to have it. Now, that was the painful message God was reminding me of this week. You know, I was preparing on Monday to preach about prayer, and I was like, oh, I am the last person who should be (laughs) preaching about this right now, God. And I was like, God, what's the deal? Help me solve the riddle of why I'm just not really feeling like the prayer thing right now, right? And, uh... And so I was praying about it and trying to figure it out. I mean, I I have plenty of, like, duty feeling to pray, but not, like, the desire and the delight in it like I should have and like I've often had in the past. And I was trying to figure it all out when I heard the Holy Spirit just nudge me and ask me a question. Peter, have you been spending more time on social media this last several, you know, season of your life than in prayer I'm like, oh, that's not of God. That's, that's an accusation. <laughs> and I realized, no, that's God. And he was saying it to help me. Uh, and if, if you're better than me, and the an- honest answer, the answer for me was, yes, you caught me. And it wasn't even close. It was an embarrassing and clear yes. Now, if you're, if you're better than me, then God bless you, that's great. You probably should be. But if you're not, here's the the joy that God offers us is that there is no fulfillment in that other stuff. There's just more insatiable junk, right? But there's joy and fulfillment in God's presence. So if you just don't feel like praying, then it's a perfect time to pray. If you need to just take this rectangle and just throw it through the window um, or just place it down, then do it and pray, And here's why you should just pray anyway. Because nothing cures a lack of desire to pray like praying. And it's no mystery. It's because he's really good. He really is. He is powerful and wonderful. He's good. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Not thinking about maybe entering into his presence. In his presence, there's a fullness of joy. He's a real person. And he's really wonderful. Last fall, I was super busy with, like, super important church stuff, which is a, that's a problem with my devotional life, is I think my professional life is so important to God, and he's more interested in the first. I was so busy with stuff, and uh, one Thursday, I, I was working here at the church, and I felt this nudge to drop what I was doing and go out the back door and visit our friend Lisa, who was sick at the time, a member in our church, and just spend time with her. And I, and I rejected it because I had stuff to do, and then a few minutes later, I felt it again, and I begrudgingly opened the door and went out back. And right when I opened the door, there's, Elisa, there's Lisa sitting in the little smoking patio. Um, and the crazy thing is she doesn't smoke. She was just out there ministering to her friends. And I go and sit down next to her to, to do my duty, right? To sit and hang out with her. And I kid you not, within like t- the first two minutes, she was reading my mail. She was doing what the Bible calls prophecy. She was telling me things that only God knew. Things about my deep fears and stresses and anxieties. And God was ministering to me. And I remember thinking, why did I think all the other stuff was important? I didn't know how upside down I was until I was there with her. And I I tried to get as much of that power as I could until we lost her this spring. And I don't share that story with you to immortalize the dead. I share that story with you because God... Wants to surprise you with the joy of his presence. And even when you're feeling like prayer is a duty, well, we'll do it. Just just pray. Spend time with him. Draw near to him. Get close to him. He promises: if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. It's a dance, it's a relationship. Now, the disciples asked for a prayer, and Jesus gave them one, but then he went a step further in teaching them how to pray. And finally, Jesus revealed the secret of eternal, perfect prayer. Verse 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the secret revealed. He gives the Spirit. And here's how. Jesus was sent by God the Father. He lived a perfect life and He died for our sin. And He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power He lived in and did miracles under. He was raised from the dead so that we could have an eternal, powerful, unshakable hope. Not just a hope in our own ability to live the best that we can. Uh, or to, to do the best we can, but have a real hope that's founded on him. And he's the same Jesus who gives us the Holy Spirit because he knows we need help, not just with everything, but in particular with prayer. In fact, Romans 8 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep.